You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, the cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Today, our guest is Tanya Griffin, CEO of Oh Yes and Aha Honey. Before she started the two CPG brands, she opened and sold multiple dispensaries in Illinois and other states. She also heads Water and Trees Cannabis Consulting based in Denver. And finally, she recently found time to launch a nonprofit that distributes free Narcon, a life-saving fentanyl overdose treatment. Wow, lots of experience and advice from Tanya. So, um, yeah, so we'll just get started. Uh, we can just jump right in. So um, I know that you've opened and sold multiple dispensaries in Illinois to a well-known MSO and that you now have a consulting company called Water and Trees um, and an, uh, a couple of CPG brands, Oh Yes, which is a cannabis-infused sex product, and Aha Honey, a patented tech uh, technology from Israel, that uh, creates highly bioavailable CBD honey. Yeah, and then I would love to then kind of break it down a little bit and get your expert advice because you've already walked there. And you know, and there's a lot of new entrepreneurs in this industry and there's a lot of people hungry for that knowledge. So uh, that would be great if you could walk us through that. As a teen, I've always been in business um, for myself. You know, I started my first restaurant in my early 20s. Um, my dad was a very eccentric entrepreneur, so either the lights were on or off. <laughs> and um, so you learned how to be very scrappy, how to run a small business. By the time you know, my first son was born, uh, I was simply trying to solve the problems that were in my own world. So I opened Kangaroo Kids which was a retail maternity support center. And over that next, you know, 12 years of running these small businesses that I ended up putting in Europe and throughout the Midwest, um, you evolve. You know, I ended up with a clothing line. I put in an organic coffee shop. I opened vintage resale shops. And again, it, as, a, as a woman entrepreneur, in a space where you're looking around you um, to the first several layers of the onion, right? And solving those problems, um, you're filling that need and, and just adapting and pivoting and being very agile to the environment around you. You know, uh, kangaroo kids and, and those clothing lines and developing products for kids was my world. Um, for a long time, and then I, I, you know, I moved to Europe, got into healthcare, um, ran a, a, a healthcare company that was really uh, looking at solving women's health issues. And then when I get back to the United States, four kids, shed a husband, I was really um, craving uh, to get back into starting a business. But I was then, you know, starting from scratch. I had four kids and some suitcases and enough money to get, you know, an apartment. And, and I, and I built water and trees, which was started 
like what you've got, Pam, is a marketing agency. Just looking at small businesses and trying to figure out how to help them grow. Growth management. You know, when you when you look at that first, you think, well, look, you you've got to talk to customers, you've got to communicate. You need a website. You know, this is 2007, so this was still fresh and somewhat you know new to people. But then that evolves, and you learn that you've got to run operations smoothly. You've got to treat your employees better. You've got to provide very good customer service, which may be as simple as pick up the phone. You know, don't don't spend the money to get the phone to ring, and then don't pick up the phone. And I, you know, so I, I started building healthcare companies. You know, some surgical centers, cardiology practices, and got deeply involved in that world um, in Chicago, uh, Illinois. At this point, I'm on uh, husband number two. This time, I shed the poet, and I'm on a, a, a blues musician, Chicago blues musician, smoking pot in the basement. I am brand new to this world. But I start to understand that, wow, growing up as an Irish Catholic, marijuana, cannabis, just made so much sense. I watched how ugly alcohol could be, how it just destroyed worlds around me. And, um, you know, as a small business owner, as someone who has always been selling, I suppose you could say, cannabis absolutely made sense. So my entry into the cannabis world, you know, really started in 2011, 2012. Uh, it was in the very nascent stages of Illinois uh, percolating their medical program. Um, and like anything, uh, you know, I would argue, because we're both women, as a woman entrepreneur with four kids and a husband, so five kids that you're raising, you are suddenly, you know, you become very scrappy. And I, my entryway was literally uh, a cold call into Colorado. I, I looked at Colorado as uh, the most regulated state, so in my opinion, um, it was more black and white. I like working within defined lines. I was coming out of building healthcare practices, so was very familiar with regulations and how to navigate that space and the tightrope that you walk uh, in building those kind of companies. And uh, long story short, I ended up partnering with um, the biggest operator at the time out there, the Green Solution, remarkable young men. Um, who had a couple of stores and a grow and I uh, came on board with them and we really grew so quickly uh, into uh, a, a much larger corporation. And this is, you know, before this is with hard money. You know, this is this was these were not trust fund kids. This is when you put your tool belt on, you were scrubbing the floors and, and hammering the nails and, and you were bleeding through it. And I ended up. Um, on the fly, using all of my business experience over the last, you know, at that point, maybe 20 years, you know, helping to build the first vertically integrated, you know, national franchise in the country, spearheading that. But in the course of that, and my first, you know, journey to Colorado was, um, I want to open some dispensaries in Illinois. And we did that. So I wrote the applications. We won dispensaries. Um, you know, five minutes from my hometown, you know, right on the border of St. Louis, put another one in 
normal Illinois, those dispensaries, you know, flipped to rec, they multiplied. I ended up exiting uh, to an MSO. Um, and I also ended up, uh, you know, departing from the previous company with an 18 month non-compete, which um, included the world, which my attorneys thought would hold. So I had to stop touching the plant for literally 18 months. And Pam, as you know, when you have children to feed and you are, you know, just, you know, always kind of hustling and trying to see how to kind of fill that next need and, and build that next company. Um, I pivoted quickly out of necessity into the banking side of cannabis, you know, because um, looking at the industry um, now as then, you know, and this is my goodness, this is almost 10 years ago now, it seems strange to say it, but um, uh, removing cash from point of sale was the single biggest, you know, issue that we were, we were really grappling with. And I ended up uh, becoming COO of a FinTech, which is basically um, an Apple Pay, essentially, and um, helped build RegTech software for one of the main cannabis banks here in Colorado, married it to the FinTech so that we could sort of navigate the space of credit cards. And that was my world, Pam, for a, a good period of time. Um, and then, you know, moving on, I, I just missed the plan. I missed building these companies, you know, putting on the tool belt, getting retail open, building cultivation centers, manufacturing facilities. And, you know, that constant problem solving that is the beauty of getting to the luxury and how lucky we are to get to operate in this particular industry that is just changing um, on the fly every, every, obviously every moment. So, um, you know, my company, Water and Trees, that was really focused pretty heavily, I, like I said, on building healthcare facilities in Chicago, I was able to circle back that, that back around with my team and, um, you know, and, and sort of use those skills we had of, of building out SOPs, you know, building a, a, a franchise means that we navigate and put to paper how you turn the lights on, how you touch how your shoes, you know, how your employees put their hands or not their hands in their pockets. So every, everything that we did was um, navigated. So fast forward, um, I jumped back into my growth management company, Water and Trees, with an incredible team. And we ended up winning, you know, licenses again across the country and building out operations. We just, you know, won additional licenses in Illinois. So we're building out you know, just, you know, more dispensaries in Illinois, cultivation facilities in Illinois. Um, and then in this journey, as you are, as I was coming into COVID, I have um, four children. Um, the youngest is 21, the oldest is 29. So I'm a, I'm a grandma. And I finally got them all out of the house, self-reliant and gone. And now I'm in my 50s. So I get to have sex all the time. My house is clean and clear. So the the idea of my using leaning, I suppose, on my experience of building plans for other companies, um, you know, just in TGS alone, we had 168 SKUs, right, that we had to develop and, and promote and sell. Um, so I built two CPG brands um, coming into the coming into the process in 2019. I really thought I would I would leverage my experience. Um, on the THC side, which is highly regulated. And as we were 
launching, uh, this is right before COVID, but, but sort of pushing up into COVID, um, I, I, I developed Oh Yes, which is my ecstatic sex lifestyle plan. So nine awesome products and um, really, really driven around experience, which is how I build all my companies. And uh, another brand called Aha Honey, which we've wrapped ourselves around patents out of Israel, where we feed the bees either CBD or THC, you know, hemp or, or marijuana, and get a single ingredient raw honey that is super bioavailable and um, really an awesome ingredient that I then ran through my sex brand. Um, so really, that has been my journey. I mean, I would I would argue that my last hurrah should definitely end on having helping people have uh, more and better sex, 100%. <laughs> so that's kind of a quick uh, journey, but uh, thank you for asking. No, really, the way you pivot and have touched all areas, it's, it's really amazing. And there's so many challenges in each one between CPG and finding you know, the right manufacturer and the retail, there's so many things. Um, but I kind of wanted to tap into your experience a little bit and um, get your advice on, you know, something that's kind of really hanging over the industry. Uh, people are talking about the consolidation that's coming to the industry that's going to be kind of unavoidable. Um, unfortunately, some companies do not want it and some companies, you know, are looking for an exit consolidation. So what would you, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to exit? Yeah, I, I think that the, the way that we have regulated uh, cannabis in this country um, has, has forced us into consolidation. So it's very hard to be a small player, a, a mom and pop, um, when you layer on, you know, 280E, of course, so your 25% of your top line goes to the government, there is literally no meat on the bone. So unless you're a, a, a robust, a multi-state operator with some money in the treasure trove, it's very hard to navigate this space. And I think the challenge that the industry has seen, or I have watched over the last you know, 12, 15 years, is you know, this bubble, this pipe dream that we have all sort of lived in, these, these 30, 40 times EBITDAs, these unrealistic expectations of an exit. So I, I, I give you a brief kind of understanding of my journey as a small business owner, but it was never around the pipe dream. Like I was always grinding it every day. I, I, you know, I had multiple SBA loans, paid them all back. That's how I grew my businesses. And then you sort of get into this bubble of cannabis, which is now settled down, right? So we, we're not in the bubble anymore. These, these grandiose exits where you throw down a couple of products as a CPG brand and think that, you know, you're going to have an exit like Nancy at Rana is, is, is short-sighted and, and inauthentic. And I, and I don't think it will hold for those uh, smaller mom and pops, whether you have a dispensary or you're vertical, or even you have five stores that are trying to juggle the current challenges, uh, a downturn economy, um, a, a cannabis industry that is, certainly fledgling where we're watching the, the bigger players, the MSOs struggle. Um, you know, the venture capitalists are unwilling to reinvest even in their winners, right? So back in 2014, 16, all the way pushing up to 18, 
money was still sort of flowing and we're not seeing that anymore. In my opinion, the opportunity for us little guys, and I'm one of them, right? Us scrappy little guys is put your head down, run this like a small business and you've got to be tighter and leaner and smarter than if you were even opening a restaurant, which I've owned restaurants and those are hard. Because not only are you trying to get through the day with employees and regulations and, you know, expenses, but you've got a banking side where you cannot properly bank your money. And if you do, it's at a very high cost. And then the government steps in and says, well, any money you make, we'd like to have that back. That's going to be ours. So, but here's the lining. And I'm a, I'm a fatal optimist always. You can do this. So what I have done, for example, with my my brands is, and I'm self-funded. All of my companies are self-funded, um, which helps you be smart and scrappy. I have spent other people's money, and I know the difference between um, the two. You can make it through this. You need to be, um, as far as marketing goes and reaching your customers, you know, you know, it's not always a pay to spend. You need to be scrappy. I'll give you an example. My sex brand, oh yes. Two years ago, um, we built um, a very robust sex quiz where you get to say, oh yes, oh no, oh maybe so, to a hundred plus sex acts. It's all on your phone. You get to share it with a partner discreetly. We only tell you what you're willing to do together. We built us a, a, a back-end portal for influencers and retailers and OnlyFans and our hotel partners who then can watch data anonymously, kind of get a gauge on what's going on. But Pam, you see, as a small business owner, and we've got to get our heads out of the sky, out of the pipe dream, and understand that we are running small businesses. We may get a reprieve with the State Banking Act. We may get a reprieve um, you know, from, from legislation, but my goodness, boys and girls, do not count on that. Get through the day, tackle each problem one at a time, and organically grow your business. Now, um, and, and for anyone who thinks that this is, uh, that they're just going to jump in for the quick exit, I would ask you to think twice. You know, you mentioned Water and Trees, and that's my company that really pays our, our bills. And when clients come to us and they say, we want to go um, be a big player in Illinois, for example, I, I would argue the first three meetings we say, I, we don't think you should do this. If you don't have money to throw away, we don't think you should do this. If you're not a solid operator um, and are just in this for a, a grandiose exit, we advise you not to do this. This is hard work. And this is an industry that um, – You've got to have a very tough stomach. You're going to get a sucker punch every day. And you've got to be willing to, to lose it big just as easily as you can make it big. That's my advice, really, to making it through. I think anybody can yeah. make it through. I think the brands and the, and the verticals and the, even the mom-and-pop dispensaries that are keeping their nose to the ground, that are running a tight ship authentically, they're going to make it to the other side and they're going to be stronger for it. And the ones that are, you know, just thinking you could throw money at this thing and, and, and bank on an exit, 
I, I think there's gonna we're gonna see a lot of suffering out there in that space. And I don't think the MSOs are gonna come and bail it out. And the, and the VCs have already said they're not. Again, they're not they're not feeding the ones they're 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 winners. Right. So kind of just keep your nose to the grindstone and maybe don't think about expansion opportunities right now just to so you don't spread yourself thin, you know, just till we get out of the the I think that's the, the I think that is it. Now you 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 say no in our industry, Pam, is one of the biggest talents you'll ever have. It's hard. When you're an entrepreneur in cannabis, opportunities just come out of everywhere. So when you talk to someone like me, your first reaction is, what are you doing too much? That should be your first reaction. Right. Any of us in cannabis who are listening to this, who are, a, you know, a, a CEO in my shoes, are in the same shoes. They have, they have position themselves in multiple sort of places because you're constantly solving these problems and no one else is doing it. And you're, and you're, you're, you know, you are McDonald's, but you're, you know, you're growing the tomatoes for the ketchup. You've got the cows in the pasture and you've got the retail stores. So you you're adapting, but if you can keep yourself focused and not spend money in ways that um, aren't productive and start pulling back, growing organically, treating your your employees very well. Because if, if you're not doing that, they will steal from you. So you're going to lose either way. Um, but there is absolutely a way to get through this. Look, I, I, it's, I'm 35 years at this small business thing. So when you, when you come with that kind of track record, nothing surprises you anymore. You know what I mean? You're just like, it's another day. You get another birthday. You know, it's, it's, you know, it comes around. You'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah, and also the, the temptation to want to grow because we're operating in these silos and state-by-state -state silos where if you're launching any other brand, you're national, you know, global. But because you can't do that, you know, it's, it's the, the urge to want to go from state to state and build, you know, build that out is is very you know very uh, tempting um but i i've heard actually from other ceos that i've interviewed uh, actually the exact same advice stay focused right. say you know stay small don't be don't spread yourself thin right now until we can get well, out of this, I, this and they're all exactly right and i couldn't agree with them more now there is in, in we're in an industry that is unlike any other the only industry i've been in that is analogous is the film industry for a short stint when i was in europe but um what we have in this industry uniquely is a, a strategic approach to doing things that is innovative and you you can expand without you know um you know losing your shirt if you do it smartly and i'll, I'll use the example of oh yes and a cpg brand so i sell it you know currently our our main bread and butter is retail shops hotels direct to consumer um because we we have we infuse our products with CBD, CBG, and the beefuse honey. Now, I also understand that a vagina high is very important. It's the backbone of what I do. That canagasm. So leveraging my experience and my network, and we're going to move. You know, next quarter into we're in Colorado, but Colorado and Illinois, for example. Now that doesn't mean that I have to go win a license necessarily. That means that I can do a deal. Um, with a manufacturer or an MSO and uh, uh, for top line royalties. Now, for me, with the amount of money that I'm going to put back into that market, 
in marketing, it is it is a loss leader for me. So I don't plan on taking any revenue. You know, I don't plan on making any net profits out of that market. But I'm still growing my company, and I'm still getting an exposure to those customers and helping them have more and better sex, <laughs> which is the objective, right? <laughs> so I, I think that if you're willing to look at the spreadsheet make sensible decisions, understand what markets you're going to lose money in and for how long, and weigh that out, not, Pam, with the idea that you're just going to blow open a big exit, but take it day by day, grow your company, and at the other end of it, you're still going to be standing when the pipe dreamers are gone. So kind of drilling down on, oh, yes, in your uh, marketing and, you know, sales, uh, as having a product in a dispensary where the consumer's attention is mainly focused on going in and buying THC products because everybody's trying to get used to the whole, you know, environment of dispensaries and, the, you know, buying in dispensaries and being educated for those who are new to the industry. How do you attract their attention or work with dispensaries um, to promote, oh, yes, because that is not a product, a smokable, consumable. Right. I mean, we align method. ourselves with smokables, yeah. but you're 100% you're right. For me, again, this is my baby. This is my last hurrah. Sex is, is really where I want it to uh, land. I, this is an ecstatic sex lifestyle brand. So it is about creating experience. So when it comes to national exposure, I, I mentioned the sex quiz, which we, you know, is everywhere. It's free. It allows us not to push our nine different products in the line, but to say, look, we want to add value to your life. We want to help you communicate. Um, and then pushing out through other venues, you know, our, our, our sex experience OBOX, MSRPs at $69, $35 hotel. We sell it in hotel rooms, in the mini bar, we're in bars where you can add it to your barkings. I mean, if you're going out to a bar, chances are good you're trying to get laid. I mean, I'm not out in bars every night. If I were, I probably would want to get laid. So that, you know, so those mm -hmm. kind of things are that sort of guerrilla marketing. And as we know, we've got to navigate around social media restrictions we've got to navigate around state regulations so from the perspective very specifically of oh yes we are aggressive in our marketing of reaching consumers outside of the dispensary and then pushing them back into the dispensary for that cannabism now let's just talk about sex and drugs my, my whole brand is built around sex drugs and rock and roll every every everything is tied deeply to the 60s and 70s you know going down is our oral sex elixir that's freddie king roll baby roll the doors start me up uh of course the rolling stones um so with that experience and what that does we understand since the late 1930s when we ripped cannabis out of the world that cannabis and sex go together lock up your white women they're going to like sex too much they're going to leave their husbands you know that's reefer madness so when as we start to truly engage you and i you know we have a lot of disposable income our kids are grown we're ready to have a lot of sex and now we want you in our dispensaries to buy products we're looking at uh, consumable products like gummies. We want to 
get through menopause. We want to have better sex. We want to talk about our friends. So as a dispensary and a, and a retail shop, whether you're a mom and pop or an MSO, we need to engage this community. And listen, I, 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 I don't know if you've ever used cannabis with sex, but, um, and, but anyone who has knows how great it is. I, that, it, there's no contest there. So combining both of them is a, is a winner. Well, I, I see you yes, smiling. Plus. Sorry. <laughs> we both know what that answer is. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Um, yeah, you must have a lot of fun I with have this. so much fun. And of course, let's talk about fun. So the other thing that we, and I talked to you about guerrilla marketing, the other thing that we do with Oh Yes is we throw a bunch of parties. I bought Pam a 1969 Globetrotter Airstream, 21-footer. I rehabbed it. It is, you know, just so true to that 19, it's 1969, to that 19, late 60s time period. And we show up at events, at festivals. We do yoga events. So we're, we're really saying to you, we are not just here for you to come and buy, buy my lubes, yes, but go buy, there's other women in this industry you know, Her Highness, Quim, uh, John at Foria, who have built amazing products around sex and cannabis, and, and, and they're all wonderful. I'm pretty single-minded in trying to help people have more and better sex, so I did a lot of things around that. I kept the price point, uh, the, the retail price point, under $25 for the nine products, you know. I wanted it affordable. I wanted it travel size. I did it through hand-blown glass so you could put it in your hand, put it under the pillow, and, you know, get wet with nobody looking. You know, you got to get that thing on the fly. You don't want it slipping out of your hand. So I really looked at my own life, and, you know, now my kids are grown. I'm a grandma. I'm having sex every day, morning and night. Well, if, I, if I'm lucky morning and night, at least once a day. So I am living the dream. And what that means is create products out of necessity be authentic and solve a problem and don't try to push your products but build value around what you're doing it's the same thing i did when i was helping parents and breastfeeding moms 25 whatever 30 years ago wow i hate when i date myself like that but you know you what you need to do for your customers if we're talking to other cannabis owners is again be authentic solve problems that your customers are asking for and, and like any good restaurant, it can be bad food, but make sure it's consistent food, right? That's so it, right. if we can show up and be kind to people and do that, which means the only way you're kind to your customers is you're kind to your employees. That's the only way that rolls. So if you can pull that off, you got this, you got, you got something. Um, I'm, I, that is I am such a proponent of that, uh, taking care of your employees and making them happy and respecting them. And it's not, it's, 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 it's unfortunate. Yeah. Key to success. It's unfortunately not on everybody's priority list, but it, I absolutely stand with you on that. And I think the benefits are huge, not only that you should treat people properly, but that you will benefit in your business. Um, I love the whole Airstream idea. That is fantastic. And are, are you are you also working with influencers? We do, we do. And and you know that the quiz I told you, I, I'm, I, I, I will tell you that it was more work for me to build that quiz than the reg tech software for the banking industry. I, I'm, 
I'm kidding. So we we built, um, you know, the front end just, you know, lets individuals, partners share in open communication about sex. But we built a, a 2.0 version that has a very robust, you know, dashboard for influencers, for our retailers, for OnlyFans um, uh, creators who then can utilize the quiz with, you know, their world and kind of understand the data. And of course, the value of that too is that, you know, when Glamour Magazine or Cosmopolitan or some of the PR that we do um, needs data, we have it. You know, we have probably 70 or plus people a day organically just taking the quiz. And I end up with that data. Mm, okay. Um, actually, uh, back to your uh, water and trees, I just have one more question before moving on into this, a different topic. Is is there any advice you would give someone who's applying for a license on how to stand out against the competition? And I'm mostly thinking about uh, markets that are very competitive, like New York. There is what, I'm going to just throw a number at like 100, there will be 100 licenses given to every thousand applications. So the competition is so huge. The investment in time and money just to even do these applications is huge. Is there anything? I do, I think I do have advice on that. And okay. I'm gonna go back to you know the, the early days when I wrote and won the application, first round of applications in Illinois. And I also wrote one and won the, one of the first in Florida. It was a different world, Pam. I mean, you were, really building um, these applications very deeply around experience and, and wherewithal, um, obviously always financial wherewithal, but, but really that's how we shaped um, our, our applications. That has changed. Everyone is a player now. So what you're doing now on the front end of this, and there, there, there are, there, there's a journey through this process, but to get in the running to win the license, you don't need to be flowery. You need to directly respond to what the state is asking. And if you look at Illinois, I mean, we waited, what, two and a half years to get our licenses because of the legal holdups uh, in the industry, because the, the, you know, the front end legislation was written poorly, I would argue. Um, what you're doing is you're writing a playbook before you get the license. There are so many of us now that are qualified that very often these states are gonna go into a lottery system or it's gonna be based on your location, which then is based on your financial wherewithal. We've added a, a third component to this, which is social equity, which is really a dance. So um, what we do now is we dance around creating the, the facade of a social equity um, uh, applicant and now you're sitting and you've got a waiting period, which could include legal battles, and they're going to issue the licenses. This is when it gets important. What I do at Water and Trees, and that's thank you for asking, is we would never take on a client simply to write their application and win it and get through the lottery. Our agreements are always um, about the back end. So once you get that conditional license, now you have to do your material changes. Now you have to go run a small business. That is, should be lean. It shouldn't be as grandiose as you were doing to kind of convince someone to pick you out of a group of 5,000 individuals for a, that 100 licenses. Now you've got to run a really good lean operation. So what we do is get through that application process without distraction, right to the rules, 
get to the other side, don't miss a single point. That we know how to do, but the back end is what is important. Now you've got to get through inspections. You've got to open the doors. You've got to do your, you know, floor plans, your architectural plans. You've got FF&E. You've got to design. You have to hire employees and then build a system of standard operating procedures that guide these often newbies to the industry on how to navigate an industry that has moved dog years in the last, let's say, 15 years. Because I, I can't count California because they still can't get themselves together. Or Oregon, right? So we still have issues in these states. So if we can go back to Colorado and say, this is a state that did it right. We need to play by the rules. There is a path through, and there's a path through this for the newbies in the industry. And it's not gone, but you've got to think like a small business owner. You've got to run things tight. And those 100 winners, um, everybody looks the same to the graders at this point. It's not like it was when I wrote my Florida app, my Massachusetts, Florida, Illinois, we won all those licenses. And that was a different application than we're writing now, for sure. Yeah. I guess my advice would be, you know, get help going in to write a clean application and be very, understand that it's, you know, you're gonna spend 2 million, we'll spend 2 million to open an Illinois dispensary. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So this is not for the weak of heart. You, you, you have to have the capital behind you. If you don't, you will fail. Or you're going to be pushed in a corner like a rat and you're going to make an exit or a partnership that is not going to bode well for you in the long term. So you, you think two million ballpark is, is, is a good number to, if you want to go off. You got to be scrappy at two million. And that's, you know, building out the traditional, you know, Apple weed store that everybody wants to build and, yeah. and, you know, understanding, let's taking a market like Illinois that you're, you've got to, you know, your lease is substantial. You, every time you do anything in cannabis, whether it's your architect or you're, you're renting your building or any move you make in cannabis, you got a tattoo on your forehead. So you pay a premium for anything you do. I, I Scrappy, you can do it for less, depending on your square footage. You know, we build, you know, roughly 3,500 square foot dispensaries, give or take. And, you know, our, our price point is usually under 2 million, but conservatively, you, and that of course is operations, Pam. You, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you, you're, you're, you're losing money in that first year pretty significantly. Um, so you need to make sure that you cover your operating costs, but you're, you're, you're 2 million, you know, you're 2 million to get the job done in a market like Illinois. Yeah. Okay. So um, jumping kind of industries, um, just curious because it wouldn't surprise me if you're in the psychedelic space or thinking about it. <laughs> Are you are you looking at that? Are you thinking about that? Are you following it? What's your what's I, your I, you, you cannot follow it. Uh, I personally love all the plant medicines, and and I and I definitely appreciate mushrooms and acid. I like you know ecstasy, ketamine, that little group of of uh, newer plant based. Let's call them plant based drugs that we're we're starting to navigate. I'm fascinated by my my experience over the last 15 years in cannabis certainly gives me the proper runway to explore psychedelics. Unlike cannabis, Pam, I I, I honestly have some concerns about the psychedelics. I think we trigger psychosis in people uh, in ways um, that we don't un quite fully understand right now that we don't necessarily do with cannabis. Um, 
as a spokesperson, you know, around my brand, oh yes, I, I would never be shy about saying I, I've used ecstasy or I, I, I like different psychedelics during sex. I think they're, they're fun and great. Any drug that we're talking about, whether it's sugar or alcohol or cannabis or psychedelics or any of them needs to be done in moderation. You need to be educated about what you're doing. There's a place for it. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I personally would um, throw my own money into the pool and, and start a psychedelic company. Um, certainly understand how to navigate the space. And I, and I, and if I can just speak to drugs for a second, and I feel very strongly about this, I, I do think drugs should be legalized. I don't think that we should legislate other people's behavior. I think addiction is a real thing and that we need to open, just like with sex, how we stigmatize sex, we stigmatize abortion, you know, we stigmatize drugs, and we're hurting each other by doing that. You know, my you know, when you build companies over 35 years, it is incumbent upon you to uh, give back. I mean, you, you have to flip it the other side. And I, I have a, I co-founded a non-for-profit, um, you know, non-for-profit called Saved My Life. And we're really launching this in Illinois right now. Um, and if there's any MSOs or any dispensary owners listening in Illinois, I would really, really love to talk to you. What Save My Life is, is we are giving out through these very uh, uh, customized, um, I would call them luxury, elegant sort of vending cabinets, free Narcan, naloxone, to anyone, no questions asked. We're distributing it tastefully through bars, restaurants, hotels, dispensaries, retail shops, 7-Elevens. Um, if you... If you are, if you overdose on fentanyl, which is Pam, it's it's an epidemic that just can just is crippling. I, it, it, there is no one I talk to who hasn't been touched. We almost lost my brother-in-law to it. My, my right hand, who works for me, four months ago lost her beautiful brother here in Denver, and thought he was taking a Xanax. Oh. So we, it, it is just now Narcan, which is just a nasal spray is the difference between life and death. And there is nothing else. I It's not my place to tell you not to do drugs. I do drugs. How, who am I to say you shouldn't do drugs? But I love you and we do not want you to die. That is, that is inconceivable. Everyone who is going to a concert, your children who are going to parties or over to a friend's house, if you, even if you are not necessarily doing those drugs and you have Narcan on you, the person in that room will not die if you catch him in time. My dream here, and I definitely need help, we're in the early stages of this. I have been working on this since I, I wrote the applications for the early dispensaries in 2014. And now we've got a good relationship with the state where we have Narcan that we can distribute everywhere to anyone who wants it. So part, in my opinion, of the responsibility of working within this drug industry and you you brought up psychedelics and I appreciate that or cannabis or anything where we're creating that experience for people that is prone to addiction, prone to danger. We then also have the responsibility to take all the precautions we can to not put those individuals in jeopardy. So save my life. 
I guess that's my my baby too. I'm I'm sticking with sex and drugs. It's it's rampant in that age group, and they're all yes. buying black market pills, you know, black yes. market cannabis because they're underage, can't go into dispensaries. So they are at high, high risk. And I just want to end this whole conversation with I think that's amazing that you're you're so busy in your life and that you're starting this nonprofit to help, you know, protect them while we wait for uh, the government to shut it down at the borders. And um, I, I really applaud you. And I thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Pam. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.